0: And most of my videos are at least an hour or more long. And I learned that it's a good idea maybe uh, so you don't lose people right away to do time markers in a video. So check out that description box underneath the video here on YouTube and look to see what the time markers are. You may not want to sit through certain parts of the video so you can go immediately to a time marker that – Is telling you what's there at that point in the video, and that may speed up the process for you. If you don't want to sit for an hour through everything, if you want to just get to the point, get those time markers and go right to the parts of the video you want to actually see and see them quickly. Uh, And I found that's worked very effectively uh, for a lot of my viewers over this last couple of years we've been doing this. And I wish I would have known that years ago. All right, now let's just take a a clear example of what I'm talking about with these time markers. Okay, a video we did called The Christian Worldview According to the Bible Alone, which is utterly rejected by most of the world. Here we see the time markers, which are located not only in the description text, right underneath the the video, but then also down in the comment section. I always put the time marker information down in the comments section as well. Usually I pin that comment at the top so people can see where they can click to certain parts of the video and go directly to those topics immediately. Okay, now let's take a look at this one now, just as an example. Here we see at the 1314 mark. If you want to just jump there to see what that talks about, it says Rob begins his presentation by sharing comments from Abraham Kuyper, you have a link there, about the distinction between those who have been regenerated and those who are not. You click on that marker with your, your mouse, then you'll go right to this segment of that video. He begins by saying, human beings
1: would find differences between themselves and perhaps differences would be ultimately lead perhaps to some kind
0: of advancement in the unity of truth. Okay, you just saw that immediately when you click on the time marker. Now let's take another example at the 1921 mark about John 3, 3 through 4. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You click on that and you go immediately to this clip. Jesus
1: answered in John chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, to the question, how can one be born again in that pericope of the scripture by saying this? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God.
0: Okay, another example. Time marker 28 41, the great divide natural man versus spiritual man. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So I call it the great divide. It's
1: the difference between what the Bible calls the natural man and what the Bible calls the spiritual man. Listen to these words by the Apostle Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in his letter to the Corinthians, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now listen to this. This is important. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually
0: appraised. Okay, one more example to show you how this all works. 41.13, the time marker. If you click on this, the following clip is what you'll immediately see.
1: And he says, now the deeds of the flesh, these natural impulses, are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, worshiping a false god or anything you put in the place of the one true god. Sorcery, messing around with satanic kinds of movies, shows, board games, videos. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and then he throws in, and things like these. Okay? He gives a laundry list of the kinds of things that most Christians would read and say, well, I'm not, I'm not there. Women. Jealousy, strife, outbursts of anger. Factions, sensuality, it doesn't sound like anybody can go to heaven. I mean, everybody's kind of done this or been a part of this. That's not the apostle's point. His point is, I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things, and what he means by practice such things is that there is no evident repentance, there's no evident conviction, there's no evident change in their behavior. They are going along to get along. They haven't stood against it in their own hearts, let alone the culture. And he says, those who practice such
0: things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here you have a clear example of how the time markers can not only give you a summary of what's contained in the entire video itself without you actually having to spend the time to watch the entire video. It'll also hone you in on the spots you are most interested in hearing about during the time you have available. So check out those time markers before you begin a video, which may save you a lot of time and also give you a good idea what the whole video is about. With that... We'll get into our programming. Thank you. Greetings and welcome once again to our program. I'm Larry Wessels, your host for Christian Answers Presents. Our ministry is based in Austin, Texas, and we're also known as Christian Debater. We have a lot of debate videos on our main YouTube channel. We've got over 800 videos there, including a lot of videos with uh, our great guest here, who's also a regular Rob Zins, great to have you here, brother. Good to be here, Larry, really. uh, most of our viewers already know you, but there's always new viewers that see any video we happen to throw out on a regular basis that don't know who you are. But try to, unlike the last video we did together, let's try to keep it short on your uh, your bio. I'm working uh, on it right now in my mind. We, we've got uh, time pressure for doing this video. Uh, we've got other things we got to do with the time we have allotted, so we can't spend as much time. And go leis- leisurely about it as we usually do. So, uh, on this particular show, we're going to cover a Bible passage that's well known to a lot of people. Second Peter, chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is, but is long suffering to usward. I'm reading the King James, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, before you analyze this verse for us, which is the topic of this particular program, Rob, Mm -hmm. just give us a quick bio of yourself and go after that verse. Give us an explanation of it. (laughs) Most of
1: you know me. I've been on this show many, many times, but for those of you are watching for the first time, I am the director of CWRC, a Christian witness to Roman Catholicism. You can find us By typing in Google CWRC, our homepage should come up. We specialize in taking the gospel to Roman Catholic communities and defending the gospel against Roman Catholic apologists. The first book that I wrote was an apologetical book discussing the entire Roman Catholic sacramental system. And the second book I wrote was on the evangelical romance with Rome in in our ecumenical age that we live in. Uh, calling out evangelicals who are getting way too friendly with Rome and actually seeing very little difference between what they believe and what Rome believes, and yet there's a chasm that separates us eternally. And the third book which is coming out will be a verse-by-verse, page-by-page, line-by-line, paragraph-by-paragraph rebuttal of a Roman Catholic scholar who is attempting to prove all of Roman Catholicism from the Bible alone. As you know, Rome has many sources of authority. They rely upon holy tradition, papal infallibility, and infallibility of ecumenical councils. And uh, uh, we believe that the Bible is the only word of God and rely upon one source. So for a Roman Catholic scholar to try to prove his religion from the Bible, uh needs to be answered in our next book coming out. We're going to answer him directly, page by page. That should be coming out very quickly. And the title of that so, book? The title of that book is...
0: A Gospel Contrary?
1: A Gospel Contrary. Well, I get it confused with our subtitle. <laughs> the subtitle of Another it. Another gospel. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think it's... Uh, yeah, but it deals with the whole idea of Rome has a different gospel than we do. And they cannot possibly prove their gospel from the Bible, whereas our gospel, of course, as Christian, is taken directly from the pages of Scripture. So, speaking of pages of Scripture, yes. we're here to discuss this very important Second verse. Second
0: Peter 3.9 yeah, If you have
1: your Bibles in hand, open them up to Second Peter 3.9 and I'm going to give you a little bit of a theological introduction as to why this verse is so extremely important. Every system of theology must come to grips with one basic question. When this question is answered, then everything following from the answer will ultimately reflect one's comprehension of God and salvation. And here's the question that everyone should try to answer and should contemplate. The question is this. Does God arrive at knowledge Or, to explain the question, does God know all things that come to pass as a result of his willing them to be so, or must he wait for events to happen so that he can look ahead and gain knowledge of the events? In other words, does God know all things because we all believe God is omniscient, because he wills all things? That happen, or does God know all things because He looks down the corridors, in the of, time. corridors of time, the <laughs> tunnel of time, and uh, adds them to His knowledge base? It is a universal and consistent theme of Pelagian, Arminian, Evangelical, and Roman Catholic theology that God arrives at knowledge. These schools of theology insist that God does not decree the certainty of all events. He instead is said to give man a free will to choose between two sets of alternatives. It is insisted that God does not know the outcome of man's choices until that choice is made. The best that these schools of theology can can contend for is that God looks down the tunnel of time to find out or arrive at knowledge. Simply stated, God is unaware until he takes that look. These schools of theology contend that an event must take place before God can know the event. God is said to be limited to finding out the event after it happens. But does this view of God accord with the Bible? Does the Bible present God as looking down the tunnel of time in order to find out what will happen? There is a popular bias to have a fair God according to the minds of men.
0: Pelagianism,
1: Arminian evangelicalism, and Romanist theologies cannot bear a God who would not leave matters of choice, especially salvation, entirely to man. So, for instance, while God may peek ahead and see who is going to believe, he has no real beforehand knowledge of it. He literally finds out who is going to say yes or no to salvation. If the Arian heresy could be summed up in the slogan, there was a time when Christ was not, then the Pelagian, Arminian, and Roman slogan might be, there was a time when God knew not. In this scheme of things, even if only for a millisecond, there is a time when God awaits to know the main contention is that man's choices would not be really free if God decrees this outcome. To many theologians, this would spell the end of accountability and all rational morality. Take away absolute freedom of choice, say they, and you have taken away all ethics and morals. It is alleged that God knows the salvation of, If God knows the salvation of one person as a fact without having to wait in some sense to find out, then that choice to believe is only fiction. It is said that man cannot be held accountable for what God wills. Hence God is characterized as being unfair, arbitrary, and unloving in these matters if he knows in advance by his will who's going to believe and who's not going to believe. However, it is my contention that God knows all things because he wills all things. God does not arrive at knowledge, and he leaves nothing to chance. The battle is the same whether we fight with the Pelagian, Arminian, inconsistent, Arminian, Evangelical, or Rome. Rome believes that God gives to man a free will. By this they mean that God will not interfere in the outcome of salvation. Rome believes that the final say is up to the man, and God awaits the outcome. Given this presupposition, Rome has become the world's best at manipulating, cajoling, swaying, and influencing man's will. Rome is equally adept at warnings designed to keep folks from losing, from using their alleged free will to walk away from their salvation. In other words, Roman Catholicism teaches that man has a free will and that God will never interfere with that choice of salvation. God has done everything he can to try to get him to believe. Man must make the ultimate decision. Therefore, salvation is, of course, in the hands of man. Rome designs a system that makes it easier for man to comply with the requirements, supposedly, that God has for salvation. But ultimately, at the end of the day, man must do it. It's the same with evangelical Arminians, the ones who are consistent believe You can lose your salvation. If you can get yourself in, you can get yourself out as well. God doesn't know who's going to believe or not believe. He has to wait for that to happen. And when it happens, he knows it. When it doesn't happen, he knows it. And uh, they walk with Rome in this way. So in our battle with Rome and with evangelical Arminians who are inconsistent, we're constantly repeating the same theme. We contend that a sovereign God saves by a supernatural work of regeneration which precedes faith. We believe that God produces faith by this supernatural act of regeneration. This takes salvation out of the hands of men and in so doing, the entire Romanistic system of incremental, sacramental salvation is destroyed. But those who wish to slay Rome should take heed. Both systems, Romanism Romanism, Arminianism and inconsistent evangelical Arminianism present God as having to arrive at knowledge. Both systems present God as impotent to save unless man lets him. In Rome, this decision is aided by sacramentalism. Salvation is never secure in Rome since man can walk away from God whenever he so desires. In Arminianism, it's much the same. The scheme of Arminianism is not the same as the Roman Catholic religion, but the Arminians rest upon the same premise that it's up to you. You make the decision for salvation, and since you make that decision for salvation, you can walk away from that salvation and lose your salvation. The interesting group is the evangelical inconsistent Arminian who believes that you have the ultimate choice in your own salvation. God never, ever chooses you to be saved or chooses anyone to be lost. It's not predetermined, it's not predestined, there's no such thing as left before the foundation of the world in their minds. You make the final decision, but when you do make the final decision, you can never undo it. So essentially, inconsistent evangelical Arminians believe that you have total freedom of the will to choose salvation, but once you choose salvation, you lose all of your free will. You can't leave it, you can't walk it, you can't get away from it. That's interesting to me. At least Roman Catholics are more consistent. They believe you have total freedom of the will to get in and total freedom of the will to get out should you choose to do so. And so do consistent Arminians. So today, <clears throat> we wish to find out if scriptures bear the weight of any of these systems of what we call autosoterism. Autosoterism is the term used by theologians to describe self-salvation. If you've got the final word, then salvation is of man. It is not of the Lord, it is of man. The Lord may have designed salvation, but you implement it. You take it on board, it's up to you. Does scripture bear the weight of this? There are some passages quoted constantly to prove that man has the final say in his own salvation. So, it is alleged that uh, God is an interested party to salvation, that he wills salvation of all men, but he simply can't have his way. He wants to save all, but he can't do it. God is not willing, and yet they perish. Why do they perish? Because they, and not God, have the say. Probably one of the most important verses in all of the arsenal for those who believe that God cannot interfere with the salvation of anyone at the end of the day, it's their final choice, is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 and that's the verse we want to talk about today because it is the one verse in scripture that whether it's a Roman Catholic theologian, whether it's an Armenian theologian, whether it's an inconsistent evangelical Armenian theologian, they're going to turn right to 2nd Peter chapter 3 verses 8 and 9 to prove that God wills everybody to be saved, but not all are saved. So obviously free will comes into play and man turns down salvation and God can't do anything about it. Okay, we're going to take a look at this verse. I put it up here on the whiteboard for us and I'll get my handy-dandy red marker so we can kind of highlight together the kinds of things I want to highlight. First of all, let's all take a look at the verse. And this translation is kind of from the New American Standard, but it's basically from the Greek text. Okay, so the text says, but let not this one thing be concealed from you, beloved. So Peter is writing to the beloved. We have to first ask that question, who are the beloved, okay? That one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow of the promise as some count slowness. Now this is in reference to his coming. Because the context of Second Peter chapter 3 and the entire book of Second Peter is where is his coming? Scoffers are saying, where is he? You say that he's coming, he never comes. And they don't believe that he is coming. And if he is coming, he's delaying it. So Peter is quick to say, look, a thousand years to God, is like one day. And one day is like a thousand years to God. So there's no time frame here. He's not slow, but he's, he's not slow about the promise. And the promise is his coming, right? right? It has nothing to do with being slow and patient toward those he wants to save. It's towards his coming. He's not slow, as some count slowness. But what is he? God is long-suffering toward you. Now, this is critical. The text says that God is long-suffering toward you. Who are the you? Okay, we're going to have to talk about that. This word in the Greek text is plural. You is plural. It's not singular. It's plural. It's not suffering. Uh, Is long-suffering toward you. Not willing, and the Greek word here is bulma, blumen. Blue, easy for me to say. Bulomenos, not willing for any, tenas to perish, but for all to come to or to enter into. The Greek word here is koresai, repentance. Common word, metanoia. Okay, that's the way it sets up in the Greek text. Now we have some questions of this text right off the bat. First question is, what is the connection between the long-suffering of the Lord toward you and this whole idea of not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance? What's the connection between, but is long-suffering toward you and this whole idea of not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The second question we have to answer is, who are the any? Not willing for any, right here. But for all, who are the all? To come to repentance. Who does Peter have in mind here when he says, the Lord is not willing for, for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance? And then we have to answer the question, of this right here. He is not willing. What does the word willing here mean? What does the Greek word here mean, boulomai What does that word mean? Well, we find out from the Greek text that this word can mean desire or it can mean will, okay? For instance, in Romans Nine nineteen, Paul asks the question, "Who can refuse God's will?" Mm-hmm. And it's budomai, same word. Mm-hmm. But in First Timothy chapter two eight and Acts seventeen uh, twenty seven forty three, the word is translated as "desire." But then we go to Luke twenty two forty two, Lord, not my will. But thy will. So it can be translated either will or desire. And then the other question we have to answer is: does this whole passage reference the experience of salvation? Experience can I mean, be critical of salvation or the experience in salvation? That's going to be a critical question. If it's the experience of salvation, then we have to interpret it and apply it quite a bit differently than the experience in salvation. Okay? So these are the three main questions. Let's review. What does the long-suffering toward you have to do with not willing for any to perish, but for all to come into repentance? What does willing mean? What does desire mean? How is Peter framing this word in the context? And also, is this entire passage referring to the experience of being saved, getting saved, salvation, or the experience of somebody who's already in salvation? Now, obviously, there are many answers To this question. Let's take a look at those who understand this entire passage as referring to the experience of salvation, or you might say the experience of getting saved. Okay, we'll just shortcut it to that. This group can be divided into two different groups. The first one is the Arminian and the semi Arminian and the Roman Catholic persuasion. They would interpret this passage as, the Lord is not slow of his promise. Right here, we'll start. Right here, okay, we'll start right here. put the emphasis Because this is going to be the emphasis right here. The Lord is not slow of the promise, as some count slowness, but is long-suffering toward you, beloved, Let not this one thing be concealed from you, beloved. He never breaks the thought. And he comes down here, and this is a plural, you.
0: That's why okay? that verse 8 that contains the first, the love, is so important to verse 9. Exactly. But they don't go to verse 8. That's they go true. to verse 9.
1: This verse is compressed. That's why I have to put verse 8 up there. Ah. You see, they, uh, the, the uh, first group that I'm going to talk about here, You'll hear people say, The Lord is not only for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's a compression of the verse. Mm-hmm. The, the thought is, Let not this one thing be concealed from you, beloved. He's writing to the beloved mm-hmm. that one day is a thousand years, and a thousand days is one year. The Lord is not slow about his promise, some come slowness, but his long suffering toward you. Who's the you? It's he the knows. beloved. Okay? So, Here's what we, get, what we find out from the Armenian and the semi-Armenian in the um, evangelical circles. The relationship between "toward you be loved" and the rest of the passage is ignored. Mm-hmm. It's completely overlooked. They never comment on this.
0: at all. A little ruin their interpretation. Yep.
1: Not willing is God's eternal will. Okay, so the Arminian, if we're going to put it here, the Arminian would say eternal, eternal will. That's what God wants eternally, it's his eternal will. Okay, they translate that as his eternal will. Now, some Arminians will translate it as simply God's desire. He doesn't really will it, it's just his desire. Most of them will say it translated will, okay? And the any is everyone in the world, past, present, and future. It's all, okay? Mm -hmm. And it is all without exception, okay? So the any and the all, each and every, without exception. And the word here come into repentance is salvation. So, this is why it's so popular among those Arminians and inconsistent evangelical Arminians. Here they go. The Lord is not slow of the promise, as some count slowness, but is long-suffering toward you, beloved, we will ignore that part. God is not willing, they just pick it up right here, God is not willing, either will of desire or eternal will, for anyone in the whole wide world, past, present, or future, to perish, that is go to hell, but for all to repent, come to or to enter in repentance, and repentance equals salvation. So when we say that God's will prevails, and if salvation is according to God's will, and we quote passages that seem to indicate that whom God has predestined since the foundation of the world will come to salvation, That he has his elect, they say, no, no, it's God's will that everybody believe, it's his eternal will, that they all come to repentance, this refers to salvation, and because of that, salvation is in the hands of man. They might as well put a big neon sign here if man is willing to let him or if man <laughs> lets him. If man lets him. And you've heard this before from pastors and preachers in sermons. The unstated assumption here is God loves you. has a wonderful plan for your wife. He's not willing that you should perish. So why don't you let him save you? It's up to you. And that's constant in evangelicalism.
0: Now, when you're reading the Book of Acts and they're going around preaching, do you hear them, the apostles saying that phrase? That that has that, that phrase you just no, said? no. You no, don't. No. How come they say it all the time?
1: Well, it's the assumption. <laughs> the assumption is God is long-suffering towards you, not willing for anybody, anywhere, anytime, to ever perish, but for all to come to. Uh, uh, repentance but the problem is that man has a free will and he won't let God save him so ultimately it circles back around to you it's on you I once heard a sermon by Billy Graham and he said look Satan is against you God is for you now it's up to you Mm -hmm. they believe that God is for you because God is not wanting for any of you to perish He's totally for you, but he just can't get what he will, so he can't get what he wants.
0: Now, let's say you're a, a Philistine priest to Baal back in the time before David, and you're worshiping Dagon, a false god, and does this apply to them before Christ is even born? Uh, or the Canaanites, or the Amalekites, or the Gershonites, the uh, yeah. uh, what about their high priests of their religion, or the Egyptians? Well, they don't
1: want God. He wants them, but they don't want Him. If they wanted Him, then He would save them. It all comes down to man. They worship a false God.
0: Yeah, but what if they've never even heard about any of this?
1: Yeah. Well, if they, we'll get to. What inter- about an Eskimo? What if they've <laughs> never heard the gospel? Right. Exactly. God is not willing for any parish, but well, the answer of the uh, inconsistent evangelical, as well as the Armenian, is that. God knows their hearts and He knows if they want them. They look at the stars and they know there's a God up there and because they have a yearning for this God up there, He'll save them. They believe there's salvation without them ever hearing it. The so
0: gospel. there's salvation without Christ. Without His be- shed blood. Heat, there's heat Without eating, knowing who God is.
1: He'll either get them the gospel or He'll save them on the basis of Christ's blood for their no wishing, their, their mind thinking about their need for salvation from a God. Uh-huh. Yeah, But what's the reason? Well, for... in a vision. I've heard them say, God saves Muslims in Tehran because they see Jesus in a vision. They don't need us to go there necessarily. God will do that. I said, well, will he do it for everybody? Yeah, but
0: most of them turn it away.
1: It's up to man.
0: So every Muslim dreams of Jesus, but the, only the ones that... Only the ones that uh, uh, accept the dream, yeah. you might say. Yeah. And of exactly. their own volition, they can save themselves. Even yeah. though John, I think around verse 10 or 12 or somewhere near, it says, uh, not by the will of man, nor of flesh, but of God. So it sounds like they aren't accepting that passage in John.
1: Well, um it wouldn't it would be god who saves them so salvation is not of the will of man the idea of salvation the plan of salvation the institution of salvation mm-hmm. but the acceptance of it is with man okay and that's how they ahead. take that passage okay so this this view we think is deficient because of two things they don't make a connection between is long-suffering toward you, beloved. They leave it out of the passage. They condense it to say God is not willing for anyone to believe, right? I mean, anyone to, uh, to uh, perish. So that's, that's a deficient interpretation. Whether it's deliberate or not, I can't say, but they leave it out. They don't account for it. And you have to account for that, because that's you, plural, and the nearest reference is beloved. Okay. But it's easier
0: if you're trying to make a point like you're talking about with the Armenians, to leave it out because it's, it out. Right. gets rid of a problem by ignoring it.
1: Exactly. It's just going to... just gonna. So, Calvinists come along and Calvinists are always the enemy because we're the ones that believe that God is sovereign in salvation. And, and here's the way the Calvinists would handle this. He would say, look, you're leaving this out. So they would say... But let not this one thing be concealed from you, beloved, that one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow of his promise, of his coming, as some count slowness, but is long-suffering toward you, beloved, long-suffering toward you, uh, not willing for any of you to perish, but for all of you to come or to enter into repentance or salvation. And the idea here is that the word *bulamai* is not God's secret eternal will. Not. It's his will of desire, his will of command. And that will of command can be broken. So, um, a solid Calvinist would come along and say, Peter is addressing the beloved and explaining, just as God saved them, he will command that no one should perish, and all means each and every in the whole wide world to come to repentance. So, they're not um, willing to say that this is an eternal secret will of God at all. This is just God's desire. And the word here, desire, is used in Scripture for God's precept, his will of precept, his will of command, and not his eternal will, which can be broken. God's desire, Paul writes, this is God's will for you, abstain from sexual immorality. Well, that's not his eternal secret will, if it was, then nobody would break into sexual immorality. So they say that's a, it's a will of command, it's a will of desire. Uh, uh, John Calvin takes that position in his commentary that Peter is not even talking about the eternal secret will of God. He's simply saying, God is long suffering towards you, brothers. Group, Some of you might not even be saved. I'm writing to the beloved on the assumption that you are Christians, but he is not willing by way of desire, it's not God's desire for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's not God's desire. His open command has come to Christ. The gospel is spoken freely to everybody in the whole wide world. There's no limitation to who you invite. And they say it's just his will of desire. A modern uh, theologian that you might recognize, R.C. Sproul, recently gone home with the Lord, he took this position as well. That this Boulam, my term here, is simply God's desire. And it can be broken. It's broken every day. You you present the gospel to somebody and say, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. Get away from me. I don't believe in that stuff. I've got my own religion. Right, right, right. Yeah. So all you're doing is you're just presenting God's, it's called the preceptive, the will of precept, yeah. his command, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they do take into account, but is long-suffering toward you, but it's kind of barely, they have to change that you, long-suffering toward you as a group of professing Christians, mm-hmm. okay? Not willing for any of you to perish in the sense of desiring, but for all of you to come in the Repentance and repentance is to get saved. I find that to be a little bit awkward, Mm -hmm. frankly. I do. I think it's stretching things a little bit. And it doesn't bode well for the you here referring to the beloved. It doesn't bode well for the word beloved. And uh, I'm still not sure about this. (laughs) So, (laughs) there are others in the Calvinistic world who don't see it that way and they speak out boldly on it, they say this they say okay, and this is um, probably somebody like A.W. Pink or uh, other of the older theologians, they would say he's writing only to the elect period, because of the word beloved, so they would say this is elect and so Peter is writing to the elect right here, and they're saying okay, let not this one thing be concealed from you elect that one day is a thousand years, a thousand years, and one day the Lord is not slow about His promise in coming, as some count slowness, but suffering toward you, elect, not willing for, not willing, here is eternal will, for any of the elect, any of the elect, right here, to perish, but for all of the elect to come to repentance and its salvation. The idea is that the delay in God's return, Christ's return, is so that all of the elect will come to salvation. And he's writing to the beloved who are the beloved. So he's long-suffering toward you, the elect, not willing for any of the elect to perish, but for all of the elect to come to repentance, and that's the delay in Christ's return. And that's the uh, view of some um, in the Reformed camp. Now getting back to the uh, evangelical Arminianism, we said earlier that We didn't like that interpretation because they don't take into account the plural you, toward you. But also, there's another reason we don't like that. We would say, if Peter wanted us to believe that God is not willing for any meeting each and every in the whole wide world to come to repentance, which is salvation, he would have written something like, The Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but his long-suffering toward the world. Or towards the cosmos, not willing for anyone to perish, but for all to come into repentance. And he would have used the word world here, or cosmos here, instead of you plural, referring back to the beloved. Mm-hmm. So we think the Armenians wrong, the inconsistent evangelical Arminian is wrong, because they're really not handling this you here very well. The, the Cal, some Calvinists believe it's just will of desire, and that can be broken. Other strong Calvinists believe that he's only writing to the elect, and it's the elect that he has in mind. I'm
0: looking at First Peter. Here in First Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says, "...elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit... Unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So he starts this whole epistle,
1: yeah.
0: talking about the elect, yeah. and, and according to the foreknowledge of God. Yeah. So to me, based on that, and that foreknowledge means to, to me. of just yeah. there's there's Forelove. people that argue about it, but Forelove. God knows everything. foreknown, right? right. Foreknow, you know. Uh, you know, Adam, knew Eve, and all that stuff. But uh, anyway, that tells me that the last interpretation you gave of what you said were the strong Calvinists yes. is the best one. Okay, because it ties in the beloved with the you into the elect that Peter's already talking about
1: from the very first chapter. Exactly. Now then, remember. All those interpretations, those three, two Calvinistic and one inconsistent, yeah. Evangelic Arminian and true Arminian, they are all dependent upon Peter writing of the experience of salvation. Mm-hmm. Now watch what happens. Watch what happens if we do this. Watch carefully what happens <laughs> if we do this. Okay. Watch what happens if we do this.
0: Wait a minute, it looks like you're starting to put it back the way it's written. We're,
1: going, we're kind of going back to the original a little bit here, aren't yeah, we? Yeah,
0: you're not adding all these extra words in. Hmm, yeah.
1: We can put that there still. Take this out, okay? Take the Arminian out. We understand those other three, okay? I'm now going to offer to you what I believe the passage is really teaching, Okay? Right. This is an interpretation that I think is most accurate and follows more closely the line of scripture. Mm-hmm. This is not a salva- this is not a salvation passage at all. Mm-hmm. It is a what I would call a experience right in salvation. In other words this is a what we call a spude. Spude s p o u oop. do that one again. spoudé. It's a Greek word for diligence. It's used throughout First and Second Peter. I just put the English word here: diligence and perseverance. Okay. Perseverance. I would interpret the passage this way. But let not this one thing be concealed from you, beloved. And I would say he's writing to those who are the elect as far as he knows. Which Peter started out started right. out talking about, right. Right. the elect. Yeah. That's beloved, the elect. That one day is a thousand is as a thousand years, a thousand years as one day, the Lord is not slow of his promise. And it's about his coming, same thing, right? That's his promise, his coming, that's the theme. As some count slowness. But as long-suffering, patient, patient in his endurance, patient in enduring toward you, referring to the beloved, right? right? Not willing, either will of desire or eternal will. Take your choice, it doesn't matter. Bulama. For any of you, beloved, to perish, but for all of you, beloved, his elect, to enter into or come into koresai. This is a unique word in the New Testament. It has the idea of entering into or coming to repentance, metanoia. And repentance here is not salvation, it is repenting from being involved in the sins that were so troubling the reading audience, okay? Here's my theory on this. This same macrothumia here, the same long-suffering, is used in verse 15 of 2 Peter chapter 3. Can you go to 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 15? If I'm not missing the
0: page. (laughs) Let's get there. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 15, right?
1: Yeah. What does it say? I've
0: got, this is the King James Version. In account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you.
1: Right. I'm going to read it from the New American Standard, okay? Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, that's our beloved again. There you go. Since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the long suffering of our Lord to be salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul, according to wisdom given to him, wrote to you. But note, regard the macrothumia. The long suffering of the Lord to be salvation. Okay? So, this is the passage that speaks of what I call the alternative interpretation of this. God is not willing either by way of eternal will or by way of uh, preceptive will, precept, preceptive will. For any of the beloved to perish, but for all of the uh, beloved to progress toward or come into repentance. Well, what do they have to repent of? Sin. They have to repent of any involvement that they may have entertained with all of the culprits that are mentioned in Second Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2. Yeah. The scoffers, yeah. the deniers, the false uh, professors. These people have been infected and affected by these. And Paul is exhorting the professing believers to stand ready to repent of any association with the darkness of this present age. Mm-hmm. The theme of 2 Peter is diligence and perseverance all the way through. Paul is writing to professing believers that he calls beloved. He calls them beloved in 3.1, 3.8, 3.14... And also 3.17. Now, I want to quote for you some passages, just a couple of them from Second Peter that strengthens this view, okay? That it's not a salvation passage at all. Mm-hmm. It's a perseverance passage. He wants them to enter into metanoia, repentance from any involvement that they may have had. And the idea is that Second Peter chapter 1, Paul writes... Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence to your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Okay? What could be more direct, than that kind of perseverance language. Now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, etc. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be all more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, this way, this way, the repentance of sinners... Who are the elect of God, for in this way, uh, what does he say? For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Second Peter three fourteen and 15. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be what? salvation, okay? The relationship between repentance, metanoia, and salvation is a common theme throughout the New Testament writings. Mm-hmm. And Peter, in the next verse, verse 16, I think, Second Peter 3, 16 or 17, doesn't he quote the Apostle Paul? He certainly does.
0: What did you say, three sixteen? And also in all his epistles... Speaking in them of these things, which are some things that are hard to understand, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own right, right
1: But who, who is he referring to? Who Paul. wrote these things? The Apostle Paul. Paul right. So, Paul, right? Does Paul write about the relationship between repentance and salvation to the Christian community? Of course. Listen to this. Now I rejoice that you are made sorrowful, but that, not that you are made sorrowful, but that you are made sorrowful to the point of repentance. He's writing to believers in mm-hmm. 2 Corinthians. For you are made sorrowful according to the will of God in order that you might not suffer loss and anything thrust. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. Mm-hmm. That's repentance without regret leading to salvation. Mm-hmm. I wish that all of you would enter into repentance mm-hmm. without regret. Yeah. Well,
0: basically all you're doing is taking everything in context. Yeah. You see, what the Arminians, uh, Romanists, and uh, inconsistent Ar- uh, the Arminians, and, or evangelicals, as you stated, do is they just throw this verse out there and force a meaning into it without looking at everything the context is. Yes,
1: yeah. and I think it's forced by the well-meaning... Calvinistic interpretations of the passage because they want to avoid like the plague any possibility that God's will is dependent upon man. But it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. I think Peter understands this and he understands, look, through all of this, just read 2 Peter chapter 2, they are inundated by the scoffers and those who are ridiculing them and he's saying don't let them and if you're involved with them he wants you to repent of that and just keep moving forward. So I think the best interpretation is to understand this as an experience in salvation
0: mm-hmm.
1: of the elect of God rather than the experience of salvation. Right.
0: Well, I've always looked at it, you know, the the way when this verse has come up to me, just like you, I, I related the verse 8 to verse 9 with the you yeah. as being the beloved. You find that throughout Peter here, and it was easy to see that God's not willing for any. That has to be the elect, right? I mean, I mean, this is way back when I first got saved. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, and of course, back then I didn't know as much as I know now, forty years later, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but the Spirit was with me. But and also lots of Bible study later, of course. I'm not, I'm not just saying, oh, I just came up with the right interpretation automatically, but. In this case, I had a lot of help from the Holy Ghost when uh, I first got saved. Mm-hmm. Anyway, any has to be the elect to perish because they're not, because God, if he's, he's not willing that those elect are going to perish, right. and they're not going to perish because that's his will for them to be saved, exactly. Uh, to perish, but for all, and they will come to repentance, even if I'm not going exactly with what you are now stating, which right. makes a lot of sense. It, it still meant to me that the elect are going to be saved the elect and they will saved. come to repentance because that's what God wants. That's right. what he wills. That's his desire for his elect because yeah. it was foreordained from the foundation of the earth, as we know from all these other scriptures. Yeah. But anyway. Happ- he- happily, the long-suffering of God
1: toward his elect is well mentioned in the scriptures. Yes, as the way in which Big time. we gain yeah. eternal life.
0: You know, yeah. you should you should have written a book or something about just this verse. Have you ever done anything like that? That is a book. It's twenty pages. I think we. I don't think we've mentioned it to our viewers yet. Uh, maybe you haven't. let's uh, let's uh, go ahead and I'll have this for anybody on YouTube that's interested enough to see. A Believer's Guide to 2 Peter 3.9. Right. Now, of course, after this, I'll have a video version. of it. Right. Right. But uh, by Robert M. Zins, right here. And, uh, of course, we have some information. Of course, the address there is no longer. Right. That's no longer uh, right. But the thing That's is, they can, uh, you've got this available through your website. I do. Yeah. And, of course, you can also email our ministry, seeddebater at aol.com. And, uh, I'll, I'll scan this and put it on an attachment. So if you email us, I'll attach this book to the bottom of an email and send it to you if you want to get a copy of this. All this information ross has been giving is right here. And so that's available. Yeah, so, and
1: Larry, I just want uh, for the readers to know, begin reading at the beginning of 2 Peter and underline or make a mark every time he talks about diligence, perseverance, and uh, the idea of repenting away from the things that uh, are troubling them in case they got involved. Uh, Peter closes his second epistle with these words in 2 Peter 3, verse 17. After saying all of this in chapter 3, verse 8 and 9 that we have tried to explicate on the board, he says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Be on your guard, lest, being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. It's a final exhortation to persevere with diligence. And that, I think, is what he's talking about in 2 Peter 3. 8 and 9 he wants these guys his beloved the ones who have given a profession of faith mm-hmm. to persevere so he treats them as being christians who must persevere
0: mm-hmm. and well, this is part of the christian life you are you persevere to the end yeah you that's persevere the way, to the end that's and where you are commanded goes. to persevere there's no other way to go so there's that. no there's no
1: need to succumb to the uh, arminian suggestion that God cannot fulfill His own will because He's unable to. It's left up to man. There's no reason to... The passage probably is not even referring to the salvation experience, but rather written to Christians in the experience of salvation.
0: Well, that was excellent. Uh, We're running out of time, but I just wanted to mention this to our viewers also. And I'll read some of this. Uh, An excellent book also that covers uh, this passage that... uh, Brother Rob here just mentioned Second Peter three nine particularly by James R. White, uh, also the author of God Who Justifies and a pulpit crimes. I think Arminianism is a pulpit crime, by the way. It's a grievous error, and yeah.
1: it really is a different gospel. That's right. It's a and, gospel and, of unbelief.
0: And the uh, the name of this book is called The Potter's Freedom, A Defense of the Reformation and a Re- Rebuttal to Norman Geisler's Chosen But Free. Excellent book if you really want to get into it in detail. And I'm going to read a section of it here, and uh, we'll get into it. This is from James White's excellent book, The Potter's Freedom, A Defense of the Reformation and a Rebuttal to Norman Geisler's Chosen But Free book. Okay, on page 145, Dr. White has a uh, section on... 2 Peter three nine. This is surely the most popular passage cited almost never with any reference to the context to, quote, prove, end quote, that God could not possibly desire to save a specific people, but instead desires to save every single individual person, thereby denying election and predestination. The text seems inarguably clear, but it is always good to see a text in its own context. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being preserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will be like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Immediately one sees that unlike such passages as Ephesians chapter 1, Romans chapter 8 and 9, or John chapter 6, This passage is not speaking about salvation as its topic. The reference to, quote, coming to repentance, end quote, in Peter 3, 9, is made in passing. The topic is the coming of Christ. In the last days, mockers will question the validity of his promise. Peter is explaining the reason why the coming of Christ has been delayed as long as it has. The day of the Lord, he says, will come like a thief, and it will come at God's own time. But the next thing that stands out upon the reading of the passage is a clear indication of the audience to which Peter is speaking. When speaking of the mockers, he refers to them in the third person as, quote, them, end quote. But everywhere else, he speaks directly to his audience as the, quote, beloved, end quote, and, quote, you, end quote. He speaks of how his audience should behave in holy conduct and godliness. And he says that they look for the day of the Lord. He includes himself in this group in verse 13, where, quote, we are looking for the new heavens and a new earth, quote. This is vitally important. For the assumption made by the Arminian is that when verse 9 says the Lord is patient toward you, that this you refers to everyone. Likewise then, when it says not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance, It is assumed that the any and all refers to anyone at all of the human race. Yet, the context indicates that the audience is quite specific. In any other passage of scripture, the interpreter would realize that we must decide who the you refers to and use this to limit the any and all of verse 9. For some reason that simple and fundamental necessity is overlooked when this passage is cited. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 tells us the specific identity of the audience to which Peter is writing. Simon Peter a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Peter writes to a specific group, not to all of mankind to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. This not only refers to faith as a gift, as we will see in the later chapter, but it surely limits the context to the saved, for they have received the faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Emphasis added. There is nothing in chapter 3 that indicates a change in audience, and much to tell us the audience remains exactly the same. Since this is so, it becomes quite clear that the Arminian is badly misusing the passage by ignoring what Peter is really saying. The patience of the Lord is displayed towards his elect people, the you of verse 9. Therefore, the not wishing any to perish must be limited to the same group already in view, the elect. In the same way, the all to come to repentance must be to the very same group. In essence, Peter is saying the coming of the Lord has been delayed so that all the elect of God can be gathered in. Any modern Christian lives and knows Christ solely, because God's purpose has been to gather in his elect down through the ages to the present day. There is no reason to expand the context of the passage into a universal proclamation of a desire on God's part that every single person come to repentance. Indeed, it is clearly his plan and his will that all the elect come to repentance and they most assuredly will do so. Dr. Geisler is well aware of this interpretation, but he uses the same kinds of erroneous forms of argumentation in response to this exegesis of the text so as to avoid its force that we saw with reference to 1 Timothy four. Again, the assertion is made that CBF's interpretation is the plain meaning of the text he writes. Okay, I'm not going to go into all this basic uh, baloney that uh, Dr. Geisler gives, but the viewers at home can see here on page 148, also 149, and uh, the final section here on page 150. You can just pause the screen for the sake of viewers that want to know the rest of the stuff I'm not reading straight up from. You can uh, just pause the screen on your YouTube and then just just read along with these pages I didn't read to finish this section. But I think I've given you a good gist of what Dr. White is saying here. He gives some of Dr. Geisler's arguments which fall apart. I I urge anyone listening to this uh, commentary here from Dr. White's The Potter's Freedom to get this book and continue to read the entire book in detail which will definitely help you with this situation. Now, we'll read the last sentence in this particular chapter, or this section here on 1 Peter three three nine. Dr. White says, The person inclined to accept the thesis of CBF should consider the issue well. It is an understatement to say that Dr. Geisler relies upon Matthew 23.37, 1 Timothy 2, four and Second Peter 3.9 as his key scriptural passages. If, in fact, one can present an interpretation of each that is at least as valid, if not much more so than his own, does it not follow that the vast majority of the biblical response provided in CBF becomes suspect? And of course, you see uh, the three big verses they like to go to to try to prove that God just, well, God just loves everybody and everybody can be saved and it it doesn't matter. So, even though there's people that have lived on the planet that never heard of the gospel or were killed in Noah's flood or maybe they were a witch doctor uh, that practiced spiritism and, and false religions long before Jesus ever came on the planet. I mean, there's. So many examples that we cited. But anyway, that's this section from Dr. White's excellent book, The Potter's Freedom.
1: All right, uh, Rob, thank you so much. You're welcome. Good to be here, Larry. And remember that all of our exposition, all of our exegesis, all of our interpretation comes from what we believe to be the only word of God, and that is the Bible. There is no other word of God. You can trust your Bible. Stay with the revelation of God delivered in his word, and you're on safe ground. It's the Bible alone for faith and for practice.
0: Well, thank you, people, all you out there that are watching this program. I want to thank you for being with us. I'm Larry Wessels with Christian Answers, uh, and, of course, good brother Rob here. Great job on your exposition. And uh, join us again next time for another broadcast. Who knows what the topic will be? We never know ourselves most of the time what's coming up next on this channel. But uh, just remember this, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. That means salvation comes through the Lord Jesus Christ only. And that's the Jesus of the Bible. And uh, just follow the word of God. Alone. With that said, God bless you all. Join us again next time. Thank you. God bless. Bye bye. If you like our YouTube channel, please subscribe by clicking on the subscribe button and then by also clicking the bell above to get an automatic update whenever we produce another YouTube video for our C Answers TV channel. Please share our videos with your friends and relatives. May God bless you. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. See related videos by tapping or clicking screens.